Welcome to You're Not That Special. My name is Emily. And I'm Sarah. We're two Enneagram 4 INFJs here to talk with you about mental health, eating disorder recovery, and the challenges that we all face. Welcome to the final, final episode of season one. Woo! Woo! What a ride it's been. Yeah. Can you believe we've had 30 episodes? I truly cannot. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> and just in time for National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Yeah. How cool is that? I mean, for the as much lack of planning as we do, everything just seems to work out. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the uh, uh, motto for, <laughs> what's it called? Uh, the theme? Tagline? Theme? Um, it is see the change, be the change. Yeah. I believe it's actually hashtag see the change, hashtag be the change. Oh. If we're being super specific. Okay. Well, I mean, if you want more information about that, you can go to um, the National Eating Disorder Association's website. Yeah. As they organize all of that. In honor of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, though, we're going to talk about some awareness mm-hmm. um, points. Seven points. Seven, yep. <laughs> to be specific. <laughs> um, how, how's your week been? Let's just start there. It's been good. There's, I'm dealing with uncertainty. And potential goodness. And potential goodness and potential disappointment. Well, mm, yeah. So possibly, possibly also, so it's just, Oh, and it's like, I can dealing with uncertainty when it's like at my own hand, like out of, I can't make a decision or something like that. That's one thing, but uncertainty where it's just like, that's exactly what it's supposed to be like right now. And there's no way around that. And that's just reality. Yeah. There's nothing I can do right now to make anything feel more certain. Ugh just makes me feel kind of sick, you know, but, but really I feel like, I mean, this morning it was a whole, I don't know, 15 minutes after I woke up before I started thinking about it. Oh, well, (laughs) better than yesterday, (laughs) but, um, yeah, just, we'll see what comes forth from this uncertainty that I'm facing right now yeah okay yeah that's the biggest thing of my week what about you how's your well I had my do nothing day and I just didn't like it yeah so I think a do nothing day it just needs to be more structured (laughs) (laughs) and I think it needs to include a massage Mm -hmm. I mean I did get a manicure but the lady just hmm was not up to par. See, the thing with like manicures, I don't find them relaxing at all. I hate sitting there and doing that. I hate it. Pedicures are much more relaxing. Yeah. Until they start putting their finger between your toes. I'm like, there is just no need (laughs) to go between the toes. That is, I'm ticklish. Yeah. Everything else I can handle, but. I don't know the last time I got a pedicure. Oh. We should do that sometime. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. But, yeah. Um, 
No, I had a great, great weekend. Good. So, okay. So National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Actually, it also happens to be my recovery anniversary. That's right. Yeah, on the 24th. So that's tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Crazy. Wow. Sometimes I just forget about it. Yeah. It is weird that it falls in National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, but um, it's just been so many years now. That <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It used to be a really big deal. Hmm. That's cool, though. When I, at the very beginning of recovery, um, <laughs> I had told with my, I had shared with my mom, or well, obviously it was my mom, but um, that it had been like, you know, a month since I'd used behaviors or anything. <laughs> she got a balloon that was like either a month or 30 days or something. And then she was doing that. And then she got like a hundredth birthday balloon only. <laughs> I was like, she crossed out the birthday or something to mark my hundred days. And I was finally like, okay, like you gotta stop because <laughs> It's, yeah, it's exciting, but I don't need a balloon oh my for gosh. every, every little milestone. Little milestone. <laughs> That's so sweet. It was, yeah. Huh. Yeah, she always remembers stuff like that. It's on mm. the family calendar. Oh. So, yeah. Fun times. Yeah. But today is about awareness prevention on Mm -hmm. our part yes so am i kicking this off yeah yeah so (laughs) (laughs) the first little piece of awareness Mm -hmm. for you is that eating disorders are one of the leading causes of death um from psychiatric illnesses yes second Second to to opioid yes um somebody dies as a direct result of an eating disorder every 52 minutes that's incredible to me yeah it's hard to wrap your head around yeah it's hard to think about but it is kind of an important like reality and I know that there have been especially I think over the last couple years um there have been several people that like I went to treatment with years ago who have died yeah um yeah I feel like the further out I get from treatment stays the more that I hear about people that have relapsed or, Mm -hmm. you know, never really reached the point of recovery and Mm -hmm. either like a medical implication like cardiac arrest or I've had a few friends um, die by suicide, Mm -hmm. which is also like a result of their eating disorder. Right. It's hard. Yeah. I think important to speak to the reality of you know, when people try to minimize of, like, I'm not sick enough or mm-hmm. um, that's not going to happen to me. I'm like, 
the number of people that I know that have passed away because of their eating disorder just keeps rising. Yeah. Yeah, it's a harsh reality, harsh statistic mm-hmm. to share, but it's it is important and yeah, that idea of it wouldn't happen to me kind of thing, like there are just so many different like complications that can happen that right make it it can happen to anybody. Exactly. Which I think our second point being um, that less than 6% of people, this was actually, I didn't know this before. Mm. Um, when we were doing our research for this, I uh, came up with this. Um, but less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight. And I would say that... That's one of the most frequent assumptions that I run into with people is that they just assume that somebody with an eating disorder is anorexic and thereby they just assume all anorexics are underweight. Mm -hmm. And that as a clinician also, I'm like, that's not true. Right. (laughs) Um, And in fact, like people in larger bodies are half as likely as those at a normal weight or who are medically classified as underweight to be diagnosed with an eating disorder. So not only are those who are diagnosed, most of them do not fall in that category of being significantly underweight, but um, people are not getting diagnosed because of the assumption that they don't have eating disorders because of an outward appearance. Right. Which then just prevents people from getting the help they need. Yeah, because you go into a clinician and that could be a doctor, it could be, I mean, any medical provider, it could be psychiatric, it could be a therapist, it could even be some dietitians that, um, you know, do an outward observation and then naturally assume that somebody wouldn't possibly have an eating disorder because they're of average weight or live in a larger body. Mm -hmm. That just really pisses me off. Mm -hmm. We need to ask more questions. Yeah. Or make it safe. Well, and... (laughs) make it safe for people to share like what's actually going on right yeah I mean six percent is tiny for less than six percent of yeah that's just I mean you would assume based on the average population's response or assumption Mm -hmm. that's a lot of assuming um that that would be like 90%. Right. It's just not true. No. <laughs> and it's something that I think also in the like recovery process too, like that's something that when people, like if somebody is going through like the weight restoration process and like is in a more appropriate place that then people assume like, oh, okay. Everything's They're fine. better. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. My God. And, and just that's like the work is only just beginning. Right. So yeah, the weight piece is. So Which is what so... pisses me off about treatment in general, because insurance companies dictate mm-hmm. their coverage largely by the physical nature rather than like, it doesn't matter what size of body you're in. Like if you're new, you know, malnourished in any way that has to be rehabbed before somebody's going to have the psychological capacity to process what's going on and right. be able to even handle emotional regulation and the mental capacity of processing trauma and everything that's been going on. Right. Coming in at number three <laughs> is um, a statistic about men with eating disorders. So men represent 25% of people with anorexia and they have a higher risk of dying because they are usually diagnosed later because of that assumption that many people have that males do not get eating disorders, Uh, which is just garbage. It's just just, simply, it makes me so completely not true. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, mental illnesses in general, which would include eating disorders, like do not discriminate like that. Like it's just, it doesn't. And I, I mean, I think that all a lot of these statistics are probably um, not like accurate. Like, I mean, obviously we can never get 100% accuracy in these types of statistics, but men in particular, like, don't, or even like um, people of color or people who live in larger bodies, like they don't reach out for hope because of the assumptions made about them. Mm-hmm. So like, how can we even have accurate statistics when right. a lot of people aren't even reaching out for help and, um, you know, trying to receive treatment for the struggles that they're having? Yes. I just, I would be curious if we actually had like the ability to have a hundred percent accuracy, what would that <laughs> right. be? And that's just speaking, like, with men and anorexia. That's not speaking with the other eating disorders that exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's pretty high, 25%. Yeah. A lot higher than people would assume. Yeah. What would, what would you want people who are, like, hesitant to reach out for help? Like, what would you want them to know? I think that there's so much evidence out there that early intervention makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I think, easy to think. I mean, I felt like this um, really early on in my eating disorder that it was like, you know, I could tell myself like, okay, I don't have an eating disorder. My eating is just kind of weird or something. <laughs> and it's like, so like, I don't need to do anything about this right now. And so I just didn't for years. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, I wonder what things may have looked like if I had reached out more or gotten more specific support early yeah. on. Um, 
because I think that does make a big difference. And it is really hard to take that step and reach out, but it can really make a difference in the long run of the duration of the suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it doesn't, whether or not that belief of I'm not sick enough or I don't, you know, deserve or need help for X, Y, Z, whatever reasons, if like your relationship with food and your body and exercise, any of that stuff is impacting your life, then that is something that deserves attention and support. And so it doesn't need to like meet these certain criteria in order to deserve support. Right. Yeah. Like put the diagnoses aside for a minute. Like, is it negatively impacting your quality of life? You deserve help. It's like the idea of just like going to therapy in general. Like people don't need to have experienced these huge traumas and have these significant, quote unquote, significant diagnoses or whatever. It can be like, I'm stressed at work and I need support (laughs) around it. Or I have one specific relationship that is a struggle for me. Like any of those reasons are perfectly valid to go to therapy. Any struggle with food, body is a perfectly good reason to get support. Absolutely. Because it's consuming your energy and your like mental capacity throughout Mm -hmm. a day. So if you're putting energy towards that, like think about what it could be going towards that aligns with values and could be a lot more life giving. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important that people like screen providers before, like just because you've had a family practice doctor for however many years doesn't mean that they're going to be the best equipped person to treat your eating disorder. Or maybe you've been going to therapy for somebody because of depression or anxiety but maybe they don't have experience with eating disorders that it's okay to ask providers like do you have experience treating xyz if they don't of asking for a referral because i think sometimes we're going to a lot of different providers just trying to find somebody who can help us when sometimes there's more harm in that Mm -hmm. versus getting the help that we need from the get-go definitely and not that every person could just help from the get-go, but yeah, <laughs> we can at least weed some people up. Yeah. A really sad reality is about just in our cultural, the ideals of our culture, um, in that one of the best-known environmental contributors to the development of eating disorders is our society's idealization mm-hmm. of fitness. And that by age six, 40 to 60% of elementary girls are concerned about their weight or becoming fat by six years old. Six year olds should be running around a playground, playing with their dolls. Yeah, concerned about watching cartoons (laughs) like (laughs) Like, yeah that breaks my heart yeah I mean that my first memory of like body image weight thoughts was after my kindergarten physical yeah 
So, I mean, I can relate to that and just, and thinking of myself at that age, like that really, yeah, like that breaks my heart now to think that like, I like felt that way that young. Well, if somebody, I mean, it obviously got brought up in the context of something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody brings a negative association to anything, like a kid is going to pay attention to that. Like something's wrong with me. Right. Yeah. It was just a simple like comparison that was pointed out to me that I like latched onto so hard. And we don't know. I mean, that's why like it's so important to engage with kids in a body positive way of helping them focus on other aspects rather than, you know, just their weight or their growth chart or Mm -hmm. something of that nature, because we have no idea what they're going to latch on to. Like their little brains, just who knows why they pick up what they pick up, but then it becomes ingrained. I mean, the things that I'm just thinking about my four-year-old niece. Like I just said one flippant comment last night. (laughs) Thankfully, like it wasn't any big deal. Um, my the little baby was feeding pizza to the dog and I was like not cool <laughs> and then the four-year-old's like not cool <laughs> like they'll just repeat and pick right. up everything that you say so um then just still saying it this morning <laughs> so um thankfully it wasn't any worse <laughs> for when her parents were around but yeah and then there's the lasting impact mm-hmm. we're not gonna be perfect but right like we can be more intentional in what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Next, um, binge eating disorder is more than three times more common than anorexia and bulimia combined. And it is also more common than breast cancer, HIV, and schizophrenia. Wow. I mean, that... I knew that it was a lot more common than people think, but to have yeah. that like illustrated that way is really eye-opening. Really, Yeah. Well, and I also want to say, I mean, just like I, what the, the second point that, um, you know, as far as just assuming that people with eating disorders are underweight, it's also an unfair assumption to assume that people who have binge eating disorder are overweight. Because mm-hmm. that's another assumption that gets thrown out yeah which is why I think you know a lot of times you know people who aren't maybe living in those extremes are can go so easily undetected because they're just flying under the radar as quote-unquote these normal weight individuals right I mean at the very least The majority of people out there have disordered eating. Yes. 100%. So. 100% in agreement. I'm not saying 100% (laughs) of people. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, eating disorders. I just, I don't think any of these statistics are telling the whole story because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who aren't receiving any help or eating disorders are so secret and personal that... Even the, I mean, you can be living with people and the people around you have no idea Yeah, something's going on. And I think eating disorders are also good at like convincing that 
no, like you don't have an eating disorder. Like right. you're, what you're doing is totally normal and fine. You or know? we like, like, oh, that's just emotional eating yeah. or something like that. There's just so much around eating disorders that have become socially acceptable, even on the elimination restriction side of things. Like a lot of that's become acceptable because yeah. it's quote unquote healthy. Right to eliminate whole food groups. It's not. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah. God, that irritates me. <laughs> Unless you're allergic to something, you don't need to completely restrict something from your diet. Yep. But I won't get on that soapbox. <laughs> Maybe another day. <laughs> In season two. <laughs> Did you know this is number six, that, um, well, the, my second question, my question is for a second part of this, but weight stigma in itself poses a significant threat to the psychological and physical health of individuals. Um, so just stigma itself, the perception that we have of ourselves and other people, or like what other people are projecting onto us, um, and weight stigma is documented as a significant risk factor for depression, low self-esteem, and body dissatisfaction. So if we think about the very first place that we're most likely exposed to stigma would be in the household that we grew up in. So did you know that children of mothers who are overly concerned about their weight are at an increased risk for modeling that unhealthy attitude and behavior. Makes sense, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. That's not to blame mothers. Like, right. I think that's just speaking to a generational, it's most often generational. Right. So there's going back layers here. Yeah. Um, and nobody's at fault because it's a cultural issue. Um, but I think just speaks to how much we have to be aware of what we're saying to ourselves, what, like when we're getting dressed or when we're picking out food or, you know, while we're eating, kids are constantly picking up on those messages. Mm -hmm. People of all genders are equally influenced by mm -hmm. those beliefs and perceptions. Yep. Interestingly, through COVID, which obviously a lot of people were at home with their children throughout COVID, um, the number of adolescents that I have seen, again, of all genders, has increased significantly. Uh, more recent, like, we're, what, like two years into this? Mm -hmm. So within the past four to six months. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious. I wish I had a, like, a more thorough like survey of, that I could give the kids when they're by themselves <laughs> as to what are some of the messages that were maybe received from parents or like what behaviors did you witness within the home? Yeah. Not, again, not as a blame of parents, but of understanding how that plays a role in the generational patterns. It's interesting, definitely. Yeah. 
I think we also have to be careful like when we're watching TV or we're driving around town and we see other people that we don't make comments mm -hmm. about other people, their bodies, because again, we might not say that about ourselves or about ourselves around our children, but when we're saying that as a general sense, they're going to pick up. Yeah. And it just sends the message that it's okay to be judging people based on appearance or food choices mm -hmm. or, you know. Or if mom or dad thinks this about somebody who lives in this size of body, then I better do whatever I can to yeah. control my size of, or the size of my body. Right. Okay, you got our last one. I do. And it is about co-occurring disorders. So okay. there was a study of... 2,400 individuals that were hospitalized um, for their eating disorders. And of those 2,400, 97%, mm. 97%. Okay. Just okay. pause on that a for a sec. Most yeah. of them. Basically all. <laughs> <laughs> but not quite. Um, had one or more co-occurring disorders. So 94% had a mood disorder. Okay. The majority was major depression. 56% um, had some kind of anxiety disorder. So there was OCD, PTSD, and there's also 22% had an alcohol or substance use disorder. Mm. And I think each piece of those, each piece of that is really interesting. But yeah. to just know that how common it is for eating disorder, the eating disorder to just be one piece of what's going on is really interesting and makes it even, I mean, highlights even more the fact of how important it is to be getting help and support early on because there's likely other things going on as well that need attention. Right. And then they become these vicious cycles, like, mm -hmm. and they're just feeding each other, like, because if a body is malnourished that's going to put your body in a heightened state of like fight or flight which increase i mean that's anxiety yeah it, like they just feed each other yeah messy 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 there are so many statistics and just interesting information about eating disorders in general and we will share some links in the description mm -hmm. of this episode um, because these are obviously just a few. Yeah. Um, it was hard to narrow down what we wanted to share today. But I would encourage you to go and look up some of the general statistics and understand more of who is being impacted by these disorders how they're being impacted, and then what we can do. Because mm -hmm. I would love to not have a career or a podcast that has to be about eating disorders because there's such a prevalent struggle that people have. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I don't think I'm not going to have my career or the <laughs> podcast. Um, 
So we will continue to use this platform to hopefully bring awareness and um, help on the prevention side of things. Yeah. Which leads us into season two coming up. Yeah. We're exciting gonna... things happening. Yes. So to prepare for those exciting things, we're going to take a little bit of a break um, in March and, you know, workshop some stuff and get ready for the new changes and new things coming. It's going to be good. Yeah. Might actually have more planning going. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking no, about? <laughs> we do a lot of planning. Um, yeah, so no teasers yet. No, not yet. But maybe towards the end of March, you'll get some teasers. Make sure you're following us on Instagram. Yes. You're not that special with underscores in between. Mm-hmm. And... Um, always reach us at our email at you are not that special at gmail.com yeah so hang tight we'll be back yeah and as always let us know if there's any topics you want us to cover going into season two yeah anything new you'd like to see we are gonna have a new format yeah i'm excited about (laughs) um so we will yeah we'll have more to share Mm -hmm. in the coming weeks Yeah. But most importantly, please, please, please do not forget, in the meantime, this is the most important part. Please remember that you are not that special. See you soon. Bye.